Yes. John chapter 3. Start with verse 1. Before we do a little background, most of the leaders decided very early in Yeshua's ministry that he was not the Messiah. Their rejection became the position of the majority of the Jewish people of that day, and it has continued to be the position of the majority of the Jewish people to this day, 2,000 years later. However, in every generation, there has been a faithful remnant, a minority of Jewish people who went against the majority and were loyal to God. And loyalty to God today means loyalty to Yeshua. Nicodemus, this very special individual, was part of that faithful remnant. So we're being introduced to Nicodemus, and we'll see him later as well. We'll see his faith grow and develop. There was a man named Nicodemus, verse 1, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark, one evening, he came to speak with Yeshua. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Rabbi Jerry, who were the Pharisees? Well, the Pharisees were a specific group of religious Jews who were advocates for the poor. We were introduced uh, last week in chapter 2 to sort of the Sadducees of the temple. Here's another group. They were advocates for the poor, as well as they were very strict in their particular interpretation of the Torah. And modern-day Judaism today, rabbinic Judaism, descends from the Pharisees. Okay. Nicodemus was not only a Pharisee, uh, which were a part of the religious elites within Israel at this time, very seriously devoted to Judaism and their understanding of Judaism. But Nicodemus was also a member of the Sanhedrin. Israel's Senate, High Council, Israel's governing body. The Sanhedrin was equivalent to the U.S. Senate today. So he's like a senator. Out of the hundreds of thousands of men living within Israel at that time, maybe more, maybe several million, only 70 were members of the Sanhedrin. So being a member of the Sanhedrin was a very high honor. This is an important man. He's a religious leader and a political leader of the highest caliber. Rabbi Glenn, why did Nicodemus visit Yeshua at night? Why didn't he come during the day, which is what most people would do when they wanted to meet, visit someone? Well, I'm pretty sure Nicodemus came to Yeshua by cover of night so as not to risk disapproval and maybe even censure from his fellow Jewish religious leaders. 
uh, should he be seen coming in broad daylight uh, to Yeshua? Because as you said, Rabbi Lauren, already um, many of the Jewish religious leaders felt threatened by him, already regarded him as an adversary and uh, were opposed to him. But you know, sometimes I think we can be like Nicodemus, um, perhaps more than we'd like to admit. Suffice to say that anytime there's a situation where you ought to speak, but you don't, or you ought to act, take some kind of action, but don't, for fear of experiencing disapproval or rejection, you're imitating Nicodemus. Uh, and to this day, that very same fear of disapproval keeps most Jewish people from openly asking and studying and investigating, is it possible that we were wrong, that Yeshua really is the Messiah? When people ask me, so why don't most Jewish people believe in Jesus? I say, my answer may seem simple to you, but it's because most other Jewish people don't believe. Uh, peer pressure. So I think we're all a little more like Nicodemus at times than we'd like to have to admit. Verse 3, Yeshua replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Yeshua replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can re reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So, don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Yeshua mentions the kingdom of God. God is real. He is the king of kings. He has a real kingdom right now over which he rules. In a sense, he rules over as king over those who are loyal to him now. He's the king. We're his loyal subjects. So in a sense, the kingdom of God is now. And in a great sense, the kingdom of God is in the future, the great glorious kingdom. Uh, the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem where God the Father, the high king, and his son, the son of the high king, King Yeshua, will rule over all mankind who have been redeemed. So the reality of the kingdom of God. I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Rabbi Jerry. That term, born again, tell us about it. Well, yesterday me and Rabbi Lauren had a discussion about that term, which I will distill to one paragraph for you. What does it mean to be born again? Well, this phrase in the Greek can also be translated as born from above, referring to heaven. And Yeshua probably had both meanings in mind. Nicodemus, representing the religious elite, sees this just as some sort of physical birth, 
which seems absurd to him, which is why he says what he does. But Yeshua is saying that all people need to experience a supernatural regeneration and transformation through the Spirit of the Lord. Now, Nicodemus was a leader. He was a Pharisee. He was born Jewish. He would have felt that he was already transformed enough. God made him a Jew in the Sanhedrin and a Pharisee. What more could he need in life? But Messiah Yeshua is telling him and all people that being born Jewish or being a good enough person is not enough to enter the kingdom of God. We must be born anew, born again through the power of God. A whole spiritual rebirth, a whole new nature, right? Born again. Rabbi Glenn, what does being born of water and the Spirit mean? You must be born of water and the Spirit. Now, some argue that being born of water is a reference to baptism. But in context here, that is not what is being said. The context of what Yeshua is telling Nicodemus is the contrast between the circumstances of our natural birth, as when a woman's water breaks, and our need of that supernatural birth to be regenerated by the Spirit. Messiah made it crystal clear when talking to Rabbi Nicodemus that unless we are born again, we can't enter the kingdom of God. Uh, We can't be right with God now. He won't be ruling over us now in the way he wants to be. Uh, We won't be his loyal subjects. We'll be in rebellion against him. And we won't enter this glorious eternal future kingdom of God unless we are born again. And he added that humans can reproduce only human life, but it is the Spirit of God who gives birth to spiritual life, something that we are lacking. Messiah is teaching us that humanity is spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. That human nature is fallen, twisted, alienated from God, who's the source of life. Humanity is born with a nature that is incompatible with God. We need a new nature, born again with a new nature, a nature like God's nature, not a nature like our fallen nature, in order to live forever with God in the kingdom of God. We cannot do that. Only the Spirit of God can transform us, help us be born again, give us that new godly nature. Nicodemus is like one of the greatest members of the chosen people. He is a religious leader. He is a spiritual leader. If Nicodemus, this great Jewish leader, needed to be born again in order to see or enter the kingdom of God, what does that say about the rest of humanity? 
If a Nicodemus needed to be born again, you can be absolutely certain that every other human being also needs to be born again to see and enter God's glorious eternal kingdom and have God as king now. Verse 8, the wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Rabbi Jerry, what's going on here? What does this mean? Well, there's a lot of things going on in this whole passage between Nicodemus and Rabbi Yeshua, you know, both uh, you know, on the surface and deeper. That's what's going on here as well. There's a deeper meaning in this verse between not knowing and hearing. And what it really comes down to is that Nicodemus, while he may have a kernel of faith, just like the disciples, is growing in that. He still does not understand what Messiah Yeshua is saying because he has not been born again yet. He hasn't experienced this new birth yet. Like the wind, the kingdom of the Lord and being born again is a mystery it's absurd to those who have not experienced these things. He's confused because he hasn't experienced it for himself yet. It's not just something to be understood intellectually, but understood experientially. And there's a strong connection with wind and the spirit of the Lord in Ezekiel 37, right? He's, he says that in a moment here, he's going to say that Nicodemus should understand these things. And as a rabbi, he should understand how God works in mysterious ways through a reading of the Old Testament. In fact, wind and spirit are the same word in Hebrew. Ruach can be spirit or wind. We don't see the wind. Uh, we can hear the wind, but it's mysterious. Um, and in the same way, the working of the spirit of God in humanity and coming to a, a, a person is mysterious. You can hear it, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. But you can see the effects. You can feel the effects of the wind, right? You can't see it, but you can, <laughs> you can see the leaves blowing. You can see the dirt you know, being stirred up, right? Your recycling bin rolling down the street. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit of God. It's a very personal, private work of God in the mind, the heart, the soul of a man and woman. But you can see the effects. You can see a transformed life. You can see someone who is born again. Yeshua had told Nicodemus that he needed a spiritual birth to enter the kingdom of God, and that is something only the Spirit of God can do. Now Yeshua told Nicodemus the way that spiritual birth takes place. Verse 9, how are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Yeshua replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher. And yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen. And yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, 
how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man, referring to himself, the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Rabbi Glenn, why was Yeshua surprised, disappointed that Nicodemus, this great teacher of the Jewish people, didn't understand the things that he was talking about? He was disappointed, and I think rightly so. If anyone ought to have understood humanity's need for the new birth, one would think it should be one of Israel's religious leaders. How can we guide other people if we ourselves don't know? And so, uh, and, and early in the Torah, we have the record of Adam and Eve rebelling against God, uh, against his command, and the spiritual death that resulted. And in the Torah, God promised that a day would come when he would circumcise the hearts of our people, is the way he put it. We would have a transformed heart and life. He promised that in the Torah. In fact, the entire Tanakh, what is commonly called the Old Testament, the entire Tanakh uh, is filled with this theme of man's sinful nature. We are selfish, self-absorbed, uh, tending towards violence, and our need of spiritual regeneration. Nicodemus' failure to understand what Yeshua was saying reveals the misguided nature of Phariseeism, of traditional rabbinical Judaism. Religious regulations to a T, right? Boy, religiously will dot all those I's and cross every T, but a failure to understand God's greater intent, his greater purpose for mankind. Beautifully said. One passage comes to mind that Nicodemus should have known, that's in Ezekiel. I think it's uh, chapter 36, yep. the prophecy where the Lord says, I am going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. I'm going to remove your you know, heart of stone and give you a new tender heart and a new spirit. Very much what Yeshua is saying. Nicodemus, this great teacher, really should have known, you know, connected with Ezekiel and the passages that Rabbi Glenn discussed. Yeshua assured Nicodemus that although Nicodemus did not understand these things, Yeshua absolutely understood these things. And he understood much more. He understood heavenly things. Rabbi Jerry, what are some of the heavenly things that Yeshua might have been referring to? Well... Uh in many ways, you know, Nicodemus approached Rabbi Yeshua as a, another rabbi, maybe sent by God, a prophet. But here Yeshua, this young rabbi, asserts to Nicodemus that he knows way more than just a little bit of Torah. He knows the heavenly things. He knows things in heaven referring to the kingdom of God and his angels and, and the supernatural world. Things that Nicodemus will not understand. And so there's an assertion here that this is not an ordinary human being or just another prophet. There's a messianic claim in this statement that Yeshua will 
uh, reveal these things. He was sent by heaven and he will reveal the heavenly things, even to Nicodemus perhaps, if he's willing to stay the course. Yeshua is not like any other human being who just had an ordinary birth and he came from, you know, he existed from all eternity. John started off in that he was in perfect union and relationship with his father, ruling over, you know, creating all things, ruling over all things. This is where he came from. He knows heavenly things, unlike any other human being who has ever lived. We should listen to every word the Son of Man ever said. Yeshua told Nicodemus that Yeshua knew about heavenly things because he had come down from heaven. Your thoughts, Rabbi Glenn. Okay. Everybody wants to have an idea. Everybody has some idea of who Jesus is, who Yeshua is. And it's interesting sometimes to just ask people talking on the street, so who do you think Jesus is? And boy, the answers you get Few people have bothered to see who Yeshua said he is. So everybody's got ideas, but what did he say about himself? For Yeshua to say that he was from heaven, heaven being the eternal abode, was equivalent to his claiming deity. So if somebody wants to say, I think Jesus was a good teacher. Well, yeah, he certainly was. Of course, I like to challenge people. Would you like to tell me which of his teachings you uh, like? I think Jesus was a prophet. Oh, he was that and a lot more. But to tell me which of his prophecies fascinate you the most. People go silent. People have opinions about him. But he told us in his own words who he is. And for Yeshua to say that he has come down out of heaven from eternity, if it wasn't true, would have been either the, the height of audacity to claim deity, it would have been blasphemous if it were not true. So when people say, oh, I think Jesus was a good teacher, it just shows that that's foolish. Okay, Somebody who's a good teacher doesn't claim deity for themselves. He was not deceived. He was not a lunatic. He was not a deceiver. He was not mentally ill. He is from all eternity. That's the import of him saying, I have come down out of heaven. Yeshua explained more to Rabbi Nicodemus, the way to be spiritually healed, the way to get that new godly nature, the way to enter the kingdom of heaven and live forever. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Rabbi Glenn, this reference to a bronze snake being lifted up on a pole in the wilderness and why Yeshua referred to it and how it teaches us how we are to get healed and 
get that new nature. Talk to us about that. Okay, he's, he's making an allusion to Numbers chapter 21. The Israelis were grumbling and complaining about the manna, the supernatural bread, I guess the lack of variety in their diet. They were complaining. God sent poisonous snakes into the camp, and many were dying. And our people fessed up. He said, we've sinned, and we pleaded with Moses to intercede with God. God told Moses to go make a serpent out of bronze and put it up on a standard, a high pole. Think of like a flagpole to display, right? Um, if you were one of the complainers and were bitten by one of those poisonous snakes, well, you had a choice to make. You could either stay in your tent because you were too proud to admit that you were one of the complainers, but then you would die in your tent, and then everybody's going to know anyway. Or you do the smart thing, you come out of your tent, you go to the middle of the camp, you humbly look up to that symbol, and you would survive. Yes, people will know that you were one of the sinners, but uh, better a few minutes of embarrassment than to die. So Messiah is predicting that his death, when he says I, the Son of Man will be lifted up, this is a euphemism that was being used at the time for death by crucifixion. Because a person would be impaled on a, on a wooden pole with a crossbeam and lifted up and dropped into a hole and they would be up there for everyone to see. So he's predicting the manner of his death. Um, and that he's saying that his death would bring us life. His suffering would bring us healing. He himself would be our innocent, righteous substitute. So how does that apply to us today? If we are too afraid of what other people think, too afraid to uh, come out of our tent, as it were, turn from unbelief, openly admit, acknowledge that we had not believed it was wrong, now we are loyal to Messiah, and ask God's forgiveness, we will have it. God has made a way for salvation and reconciliation and peace with him, but he set the terms, and it's very simple. His terms are that we give our loyalty and our love to Jesus the Messiah. If you were bitten by a snake and about to die, you had to look at a snake in order that you could live. Humanity, all of humanity, has been bitten by a snake. Uh, the great serpent, right? Satan. And all of us are dying. That is certain. Mot tamut. In the day you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, mot tamut. Dying, you will die. You will surely die. That is the death sentence that hangs over humanity. There's only one way to experience not death but life, and the cure is similar to the disease. 
We must look at a man, a perfect man, a righteous man, a man from heaven. We look at him with the eyes of faith, knowing who he is, seeing him who as he is, believing in him as he is. And that sucks out the spiritual venom from us. He absorbs it. And we are healed. And we are born again. And we are right with God. And we get that new nature. And we are now equipped to live forever in the kingdom of God. That's what Yeshua is saying by this allusion to the bronze serpent on the pole in the wilderness. It's essential to be born again, to get that new nature, that new godly nature that only the Spirit of God can give, and he only gives it on the basis of our knowing who Yeshua is, seeing him for who he is. It's essential to be born again. It's important to know we have been born again. God wants us to know that we have been born again. If we have that new nature, that there will be evidence that we have that new nature. By their fruits, you will know them. So I want to talk a little bit about evidences that we have been born again, that you have been born again. The first evidence is external evidence. People operate from their nature. Everything they do, everything they think, everything they believe comes from their nature, who they are, their nature. And there are two natures. People are operating either from a fallen nature that is hostile to God, is rebellious toward God, rebellious toward, <clears throat> toward the word of God. It is a nature that cannot please God, doesn't want to please God. Or people are operating from that new nature, that born again nature, that nature that is created by God, the Spirit of God, that new nature loves God. That new nature wants to please God. That new nature wants to obey God. That new nature is characterized by love for God, love for truth, love for people. So if you have been born again, you will have this new godly nature. You'll have new values, new goals, new priorities. You'll love God, not this dying, corrupt world. You will feel compelled to tell others the good news about the Savior you will place a high priority on building Messiah's community. Have you been born again? 
Do you have that new nature? Is it obvious to others that you have that new nature and are operating out of that new nature? Should be obvious to others. And there's a second evidence, not external evidence. It's internal evidence. We should have that inner witness that we have been born again, that we are now right with God. We're not perfect. We still sin. We still fall short. We still make mistakes. We still miss the mark. In spite of that, we know that God loves us. We're accepted by him. We're right with him. We're saved. We're a son of God. We're a daughter of God. That inner sense, that inner witness that God is my father through thick and thin, through up and down, through mountain and valley. Do you have that inner witness? Have you been born again? Rabbi Jerry, any thoughts as we conclude? You know, I think the real big takeaway I see from this passage is that we shouldn't be so assured in our own knowledge of things. That we come to Scripture, when, when we're not believers, we come to Scripture with a lot of preconceived notions. As Rabbi Glenn alluded to, everybody has an opinion about who Yeshua is, but very often we do not ask, well, what was Yeshua's opinion of himself? We assume all these things about God's Messiah. So I think, you know, for... The takeaway here is is to check our preconceptions at the door and let Scripture and let the Messiah speak for itself. Let the Messiah speak for himself. Let God's word speak for itself. And let us humbly consider what God's truth is and then apply it to our lives. It might be worth it for some who are either here with us this morning or watching online who are not yet convinced, not yet ready to say, okay, I'm throwing in my lot with Yeshua. Um, be like a good juror. A good juror hears not just the prosecution's case, but comes back in to hear the defense's case. A good juror weighs the evidence. Look at the life and the teachings of Jesus. And then ask yourself, is there anything lacking in this one? Could he truly be the Messiah that we've been waiting for? But be a good juror. Don't be lazy. Do your homework. And I think anybody who studies his life and his teachings is going to come away with a whole new perspective. Thank you, Rabbi Glenn. Thank you, Rabbi Jerry.